Okay, pasa, mufasa. I'm Dennis Walker. This is the Mycopreneur Podcast, a podcast about people solving problems with mushrooms. Growing up in California, mushrooms held little to no appeal to me as a culinary delight. All that I ever saw were dull white button mushrooms sliced into unappetizing slivers piled high on the salad bar of a hometown buffet. The one time a year I went there with a random family friend. Other places I saw them were withering atop a veggie combo pizza to be surreptitiously discarded along with the flaccid bell peppers and the slimy olives, leaving me with a cheese pizza. I'd never heard of a chanterelle, a morel, a lion's mane, or a lobster mushroom. One of my first exposures to a truly appetizing and innovative mushroom food product came courtesy of our guest today, Eric Mueller of Mueller's Mushrooms. At a monthly meeting at the San Diego Mycological Society in 2017, I had a chance to try some of Eric's famous mushroom jerky. The smoky flavor and the meaty texture immediately won me over, and I realized that for my money, this product completely superseded traditional beef jerky. Above and beyond the bold, captivating flavor, the ecological benefits and reduced carbon footprint on both the cultivation and the supply chain side sent my imagination soaring as I considered what other foods we could adapt mushrooms to replace. For the record, I've never felt like that when biting into soy riso or a Beyond Burger patty. To me, those felt like cheap, uninspired substitutes for meat. There was something noticeably lacking. With the texture and flavor of exotic and specialty mushrooms, I felt like the culinary game was actually being dialed up a notch. I do not at all identify as a vegan or a vegetarian, and I relish a good filet mignon or a plate of carne asada. But given the choice, I'd definitely take an inspired chanterelle and lion's mane dish over a traditional surf and turf combo. Eric and I certainly aren't the only ones who see the potential for expanded offerings in the specialty food space using mushrooms as a base. At Last Food Company, which is a spin-off of Ecovative Design, recently received over $7 million in investment from big-time food industry conglomerates. Along those same lines, food industry giant Kellogg's and a consortium of other major players have recently invested over $35 million in a company called Mycotechnology Incorporated, which develops mushroom-based functional ingredients for the food and beverage industry. A host of other major players, movers and shakers are getting involved in developing products for the food industry, which use mushrooms as their base. So today, we're gonna to talk to a master cultivator who has a booming online business, Eric Mueller of Mueller's Mushrooms. We mentioned that he produces mushroom jerky that is based on his oyster mushrooms he grows. He also produces a line of tinctures, such as lion's mane, chaga, and red reishi combo, it's called the royal combo, turkey tail, and cordyceps. Eric Mueller of Mueller's Mushrooms. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Hey, awesome. Hi, everybody. Man, I'm really stoked to be here. So yeah, I'm Eric Mueller from Mueller's Mushrooms. So I first got to know you and your craft a little bit by virtue of hanging out at the San Diego Mycological Society events. And in particular, I was blown away by the mushroom jerky that you make and sell. I honestly preferred it to traditional beef jerky. When did you first start making mushroom jerky? Actually, uh, in 2014 is when I first started making mushroom jerky. Um, it's pretty interesting. So back then, I think we did like internet global searches and I think we only found two people that was actually doing mushroom jerky. Uh, I think uh, Pan's mushroom jerky out of like Indonesia, but I think they're here in the States now. And then somebody on the East Coast was doing wild maitake jerky. And this is back in 2014. Well, actually out of high school, 
Um, I never knew of a mushroom farmer or anybody that grew mushrooms. So I actually, uh, in my little town of Alpine, it's kind of a little community. I pretty much went around to all the local restaurants and asked them if they wanted locally grown mushrooms. And they all said, yeah. So I went down to the creek, cloned a wild oyster mushroom. So that's what I was growing for all the restaurants in Alpine. So it was actually one, it was even a local variety. It was even indigenous to the area. So I actually built a little steel shed inside my parents' house. And then that was my little laboratory. That's a pretty wild origin story. Most people order a kit off of the internet and get acclimated to the world of mushroom cultivation in that way. Never have I heard of someone cloning a wild oyster for their first grow. And in fact, I've never actually cloned a wild mushroom myself, but I'd be very interested in learning how to do that. I currently live in a part of Mexico where I'm surrounded by literally thousands of different types of wild mushrooms. And how does one go about cloning a mushroom? Do you start with a spore print or what's the protocol? Well, you know, so that's what a lot of people think is like taking a spore print, but an actual clone is what we'll do. Is we'll actually take one of like the most prettiest, biggest mushrooms. We'll cut it open and we'll do a tissue culture from inside the mushroom. And then that way it's genetically exactly the same, the DNA. Uh, rather if it's being spores, you're talking about multiple seeds that could have multiple genetics, right? you know, blue hair, or I'm sorry, you know, blue eyes, brown eyes, or, you know, blonde hair. So there's all these little like minute characteristics. So that's why I did a tissue culture. Nice. Well, in preparation for this podcast, I was perusing Mueller's Mushrooms website, which is muellersmushroom.com, mushroom singular, muellersmushroom.com. And I told a buddy about your lion's mane tinctures because he'd expressed interest in starting a lion's mane supplement regimen, which of course, there's a ton of research and evidence suggesting that lion's mane mushrooms boost cognitive function and generally support brain health and neuroplasticity. He actually ordered two of your lion's mane tinctures. So I guess this podcast is already paying off for you. <laughs> very cool. I'm very proud of the lion's mane tincture. I mean, that's like one of the first medicinal mushrooms I started cultivating more on a, a, a larger scale. Um, here's actually, I got one growing, there's one right here. Yeah, so these are kind of like the reproductive organs. Um, some of them have gills uh, or pores. This one has spines or, or teeth. I'm a big fan of lion's mane and personally use it every day as a supplement that I add to my coffee. This mushroom really is amazing. Uh, like I know somebody out in Louisiana that had severe dementia, his brother-in-law, they said he hasn't talked or walked in quite some time. Four days on mushroom fruit body tincture, he started talking again. And I get goosebumps every time I tell this story. Two weeks after taking it, they said he, uh, with help, he got out of his wheelchair. Uh, Ed, his brother-in-law, calls me every Christmas, every New Year's, um, but his brother-in-law is um, doing amazing now. And the only thing that they've changed is lion's mane. That's a remarkable story, and one that we're starting to hear more and more evidence of, of drastic improvements in people's lives and in their health, thanks to the healing power of mushrooms. Thank you, Eric, for your role in helping to bring that power into the lives of people. So we talked a little bit about the incredible mushroom jerky that you offer, which I can personally validate as being delicious and absolutely worth adding to the pantry. You've also got a whole range of specialty mushroom tinctures that you offer, including, of course, the lion's mane, and also turkey tail, cordyceps, and the royal combo, which is red reishi and chaga mushrooms. These tinctures are made from a two-stage extraction process that you've pioneered. What is the two-stage extraction process all about? 
Yeah, so the dual stage is kind of considered like a full spectrum extraction method because the medicinal side of mushrooms, we're actually going after two sets of molecules, some of them being water soluble, some of them not being water soluble. So the first step of the extraction process is we'll actually take the mushroom fruit body, soak them in alcohol um, roughly for about uh, 100 days, roughly. There is techniques that we've uh, discovered actually speeds up the process. Um, and that extracts your, your polysaccharides, which are not water soluble. And then you wring all the mushrooms out. And let's just say that achieves, let's just say a quart of alcohol. And now you got your mushrooms that you've wrung out. Now you, with those mushrooms, you're gonna add a whole bunch of water to it. Now you're gonna do a hot water extraction, um, which, um, so I'm sorry. So the first step extracts the, the triterpenes, the hot water extraction extracts the polysaccharides. And so during that second part, that's when you can actually even see, depending on the mushrooms that you're working with, uh, extracts the polysaccharides and you boil that down. I do it for about eight hours until you achieve the same volume as a one-to-one -one ratio as your alcohol to your water extraction. And then you have to mix the two, but you actually, how I do it, I specifically slowly add the alcohol to the water extract and not vice versa. If you add the water to the alcohol extract, you could, and my theory is that you damage your polysaccharides because you got to have to look out for your integrity of the molecules that you're actually ex extracting. Um, and that's pretty much your dual stage, full spectrum extraction method. Fantastic. Folks, you heard it here. Mueller's mushrooms are primarily concerned with creating the highest quality and most effective mushroom-based health supplements and natural medicines. You can walk into any Whole Foods or, or order some of these specialty mushroom products on Amazon from bulk providers, but few, if any of these providers, are taking the time and care to produce the kinds of results in their products that Eric is delivering with his tinctures and his mushroom products. And as more and more people in the U.S. and globally are understandably growing mistrustful of the pharmaceutical industry and traditional profit-oriented healthcare, more and more evidence is emerging that supports the effectiveness and the safeness of mushroom medicines and these natural compounds, especially as they're cultivated with care and integrity. The results are in. Mushroom medicines are the real deal. They're experiencing a massive boom and demand as they positively impact and change more and more people's lives. And with this mushroom renaissance as a backdrop, there's still a qualitative hierarchy in terms of the products that are being offered in this space. Make no mistake, there are specialty mushroom providers selling on Amazon that are simply riding the wave of specialty mushroom popularity without actually producing the highest quality products that they can be. And with the re-emergence of mushrooms into mainstream society and consciousness through pop culture, mediums like Double Blind and the film Fantastic Fungi, which I also saw you at alongside Paul Stamets in person at the San Diego premiere, that was actually the second time I had a chance to sample your mushroom jerky. So I'm curious, alongside this recent explosion of interest in mushrooms and mainstream media coverage of their potential health benefits, have you seen a rise in demand for Mueller's Mushrooms products and a greater interest in your business and your research? Yeah, because I think a lot of, because I do farmer's market, to do the farmer's market in Vista every Saturday. And a lot of what I'm doing is a lot of teaching and educating. Um, and I, I really enjoy that, like teaching people about mushrooms and the medicinal aspects of it. Um, and it has helped. So I get a lot of people that come up to the booth and they're like, oh yeah, lion's mane? Yeah, sure, I'll try it. And I pretty much don't have to really discuss the whole medicinal aspects because um, they, already, they already know. Um, 
on that aspect, right before COVID hit, I actually recently started speaking at, um, at high schools and started teaching kids about medicinal mushrooms. And uh, then it was kind of in combination with the uh, science department. So all the kids got to make mushroom grow kits and then it was documented throughout the science department. So it's really cool to plant the little spores in the, in the kids' heads now, because that's the future. That's sensational. And I 100% agree with you that that's the future. Mushrooms are the future. And mushroom science absolutely needs to be taught in school. I myself am an educator who has taught in public high schools in California in the last few years. Something that spurred my interest in deepening my relationship with mushroom science is that growing up, I had no concept of what mushrooms actually were or could be. The only ones that were available were funky little white button mushrooms at the supermarkets and portobellos. But through my travels and my interactions with the San Diego Mycological Society, I started seeing this immense, largely untapped body of mushroom research and potential. And I started being exposed to more diverse and exciting culinary mushrooms through my travels in Asia, where I'd see stalls piled high with wood ear mushrooms and traveling rishi vendors wandering through the alleys in small towns in China or in herb markets in Hong Kong and Thailand. And then of course, I also encountered tons of mushrooms on the menus over in Eastern Europe and Poland and Ukraine. Beyond culinary mushrooms, I came across psilocybin mushrooms frequently in places like Jamaica, Oaxaca, Mexico, Costa Rica, Amsterdam, tons of different places across cultures, across continents. And this collective experience of the globalness and the range of different types of exotic mushrooms and their presence in folklore and the history of so many different cultures and regions across the world, it really boosted my enthusiasm for mycology and for understanding what an important role mushrooms play in nature and in the history of our species. A history that was virtually erased from Western culture for much of the 20th century. But thankfully that's starting to change rapidly and more and more people in the United States and Western countries are starting to embrace the world of mushrooms. So let's take it a step further. Let's talk about home cultivation. Breaking into mushroom cultivation can have a steep learning curve, speaking from experience. When did you first become interested in mushrooms? You mentioned picking and cloning the wild oyster mushrooms at the creek bed near your home, but did you have a mycological interest that predated this experience? Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of always, I was always into gardening. Um, and it was a combination of, I think my father was always an entrepreneur, uh, starting businesses for himself. And I think I kind of wanted to follow those lines, but not exactly do what he's doing. Um, and I, it was just curiosity, uh, pretty much. I never would have expected or have imagined that it would have evolved uh, to how it is today. Um, that being said, I mean, every year I see little mushroom farms start and fail every year, year after year. And fortunately, um, I have my family that, that backs me up and had property um, and they had the support because um, it really is difficult. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of due, dil dil due diligence. You got to work at it like every day, pretty much. Breaking into mushroom cultivation can have a steep learning curve, speaking from experience. What are some of the challenges you encountered when you first began your mushroom cultivation journey? Uh, yeah, you know, it's just like little techniques. I really view it as actually it being very simple. It's just following certain rules. Uh, cleanliness is really important. Patience, um, books and literature, 
um, is really important. You want to have like a lot of references. Because uh, I'll, I'll get people that will come up and they're like, hey, I want to know how to grow mushrooms. Or they'll even give me a call. Yet they haven't read any books or done any research. And it's not that easy. There's a lot of steps involved. Um, but if you know the steps, it can be very simple <laughs> also. Uh, and I think a lot of people overthink the process. Uh, like, for example, uh, when pasteurizing straw, when you want to first start cultivating oyster mushrooms, you know, you, when you want to pasteurize the straw, you want to hold it between, I don't know, maybe 130 and 160 degrees. But your novice is going to go in there and go, oh, man, I'm going to boil it and I'm going to do it for two hours. Well, you're actually killing your endospores and you're defeating the whole purpose. It's that little sweet window that really makes everything work. Sure. And the cleanliness slash sterilization part of the process is so important, so essential. Mold is a major nuisance and fungi killer for many first timers. And as we speak, my first Ganodermis or Rishi grow has fallen victim to death by mold, though I did manage to get three very nice fruiting bodies out of the experiment. And that mold is a real vibe killer because in most cases you've been waiting for weeks for your mycelium to colonize and to get the ball rolling on fruiting your babies and then boom, you're dead in the water and you have to start over. And that seems to be a common theme among novice cultivators. You definitely have a handle on successful cultivation processes for a number of different types of mushrooms. Are there any types of mushrooms that you don't currently cultivate which you might be interested at taking a crack at in the future? Uh I, th I think a lot of my time is is kind of used up by the different aspects of the business and doing the farmers markets and and online. Um, like I'm sure I would want to do like cordyceps, um, even like maybe some gourmet edibles like uh, morels and stuff like that. Um, but right now, I mean, I'm not using morels medicinally. You know, it's going to be like one that just be for just for fun. Uh, cordyceps is obviously a medicinal one. I'm not personally growing them myself. I have a buddy out on the East Coast that is uh, growing them for me. Um, but yeah, like maybe once if I get like maybe a staff trained up, um, I pretty much am a one-man operation. And I just feel like with me, I kind of have more control, uh, especially like in the laboratory procedures. But I am now starting to... Uh, have help. And so I am trying to expand and get uh, other people trained on the different techniques. One variety of mushroom that I've successfully cultivated several times is blue oyster using pasteurized straw as the substrate. And it's a wonderful feeling to see your first flush and to harvest and prepare them. In our case, our first flush came right as we were leaving town for a few weeks. So we gave them to our landlord and she was stoked to have fresh homegrown blue oyster mushrooms. Now, I imagine that Mueller's mushrooms has scaled up quite a bit since the early days of cloning and cultivating wild oyster mushrooms. Can you describe your process of scaling up your business and your cultivation setup in the years since you first established Mueller's mushrooms as a business? Yeah. Um, so definitely like the whole, the first model of my business was actually uh, selling a lot of fresh mushrooms to restaurants. And that's what I did when I first started. Um, and then I discovered um, there's, for my business and being a one-man operation, there was such a hustle of trying to maintain fresh mushrooms with refrigeration. There's such a short shelf life. Um, so that's why I started doing the mushroom products. And I figured, it, um, and then even developing the mushroom jerky was like a shelf-stable uh, mushroom product. 
that you can just grab and enjoy. Um, but definitely for a mushroom business, I think diversifying was, was key, is key. And the shelf life factor is what comes to mind for me with Lion's Mane in particular, because there's virtually no shelf life with Lion's Mane. And consequently, very few, if any, traditional markets carry Lion's Mane. I've never actually seen it outside of the occasional farmer's market. And that's part of the allure to me that it's such a delicacy and a rarity. So when I find a farmer's market that has a vendor with fresh Lion's Mane, I'm buying it, though it ain't cheap. Yeah, not at all. Uh, I believe you can get it from Specialty Produce. All right, folks listening to this in the San Diego area, check out Specialty Produce if you're on the hunt for fresh lion's mane. If you can't find it there, definitely talk to Eric. In fact, you should reach out to Eric either way if you have an interest in mushrooms or in boosting your human potential. You've actually brought some fresh mushrooms from your grow room for a little show and tell action, I see. I notice a robust lion's mane fruiting body right behind you. Uh, so this one is actually probably... Um maybe a little over a week old. Um, this is actually the second mushroom that I've harvested off of this bag. You can actually see it was uh, made 9-2. Uh, um, and this is actually made with hardwood sawdust uh, rather than the straw, because the oyster mushrooms like the straw. Depending on the mushroom, we use a different substrate. Um, so yeah, and so this is like a Hericium arenaceum, uh, lion's mane. So this is a great medicinal mushroom, like memory, focus, cognitive function, Alzheimer's, dementia patients. Um, I heard this is the only one that passes past the brain barrier. Uh, I did have a, a girl from our mycological, from the San Diego Mycological Society. She emailed me and she said she's taken this mushroom for two weeks, uh, even though she knows this mushroom is not known to be antiviral. She had a wart like growth on her eyelid for over 12 years and she said after taking it for two weeks the the wart went away she understands it's not antiviral but she feels like in the email she says she feels like her immune system got enough of the boost where it actually did take care of the virus yeah it's pretty interesting so like here in the united states from my understanding there's no real literature prior to 95 on lion's mane mushroom uh, especially on the medicinal side and there's a ton of different ways you can incorporate lion's mane into your diet and your health supplement regimen. There are a number of specialty coffees produced by companies like Four Sigmatic and Bulletproof Coffee that incorporate lion's mane. I was taking it in capsules for a while myself. Of course, Host Defense, Paul Stamets' company, has different lion's mane capsules that you could buy. And where I live in Mexico, I just recently discovered a little health food store that carries Chinese medicines and they have lion's mane powder. So I'm pretty excited about that because otherwise I was looking at ordering some on Amazon and you know, Amazon packages don't always make it to the doorstep here. Um, but you're kind of rolling the dice if you get it from a random source online. Are you aware of any potential side effects to incorporating medicinal mushrooms into one's diet? So that's pretty interesting. I do want to mention, nobody talks about the side effects of medicinal mushrooms. Now there are a couple side effects, example for like chaga mushroom, from my understanding, there's so much antioxidants in it that you do need to be careful if you're taking injectable insulin or if you're on antibiotics. Now, I don't think it's gonna hurt you, but you're pretty much, it's gonna neutralize each other. So you're not gonna get any of the benefits and you're gonna be wasting your money. Um, and for example, and like reishi mushroom, um, it's, I hear there's side effects from consuming powdered reishi fruit body for over two months because there's so much fiber 
in the fruit body that the side effects is actually bloody stools. Don't get that confused with the powders that are, are being sold because a lot of that is not fruit body, it's mycelium. Wow, duly noted. I'm in it for the brain health, definitely not the bloody stools. Whenever I read about the historical use of medicinal mushrooms, a lot of the historical use and evidence comes out of traditional Chinese medicines. Are you aware of any other cultures that may have tapped into the benefits of lion's mane and reishi and the like? It's primarily Asian, but from my understanding uh, in India, it's actually pretty new. I heard uh, a lot of the fungus was actually kind of viewed more like on the negative side, which is pretty interesting because one of my books, uh, this one is actually originally written in Indian or India um, and translated into English. This one was just printed in 2019. I've recently been turned onto India and specifically Northeast India as being one of the most mushroom rich places on the planet. We have filmmaker Stephen Axford as an upcoming guest on the pod, and he recently released a wonderful film called Planet Fungi that focuses on the mushrooms and jungles of Northeast India. Although I didn't particularly recognize any of the medicinal mushrooms that we're talking about when I watched the film, the locals there have a historical lineage of mushroom admiration and regular use. They literally just go out, pick them, and try them. And in some cases, maybe have never had them before. And you hear these locals talking about, oh, I ate that one and I broke out in a rash. And it's pretty bold of them, but it seems to have worked up until this point. Though I don't recommend trying that at home. So as far as mushroom cultivation books and texts go, you mentioned earlier the importance of reading up on cultivation and staying on top of the literature game to help one be a better mushroom cultivator. Are there any books in particular that really helped you dial up your cultivation prowess? Yeah, I would say definitely uh, Paul Stamen's Cultivation Guides. Uh, this is pretty much what taught me how to cultivate and, and do the lab work. Paul Stamets, Certified Mushroom OG. We actually had a chance to hear him speak together at the San Diego premiere of the film Fantastic Fungi, which was a really cool addition to that excellent film experience. I appreciate the scientific descriptors that you use when talking about your cultivation setup, in the lab, as you say. I recall you walking around the San Diego Mycological Society meetings with bags of colonized substrate, showing people where your reishi is actually coming from. And I think that's important as mushrooms become more and more accessible and mainstream. I think it's important that people see the science and the process behind mushroom cultivation. Like your mushroom medicines don't just magically appear in a capsule. There's a science and an art behind sustainably, ethically cultivating them. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Like, uh, like the reishi mushroom, for example, everybody knows it as having its, uh, the conical like shell shaped, but we like to grow them under high CO2. So they grow these really cool antlers. Um, I don't know if you can see this. These are actually ones that are like growing inside the bag, but they're actually pushing on the bag. So will those reishi antlers push right through the bag or are they pretty contained in there? They're pretty contained. I mean, if there was a little hole, it would actually send part of the little fruit body out and then it'll try, try to make a, a, a fruiting shelf. I recently had a semi-successful reishi grow where I got three beautiful shelves of reishi in addition to a ton of random water that I'm not really sure where that came from, perhaps condensation from the humidity where I live, and also a disagreeable amount of mold that took over the grow. I used a bucket tech, cultivating in a bucket on oak sawdust, and I posted photos of my grow on a mycology subreddit, 
and no one had ever seen reishi grown in a bucket. So I got that going for me. And my wife and I actually just made an immunity broth for making soups with the reishi that successfully fruited. So in the case of my reishi grow, and also many other first-time cultivators experience, mold is a fact of life in the mushroom cultivator's universe. If there are healthy mushrooms in your grow, but another part of the grow has been contaminated by mold, are the healthy-looking mushrooms still generally safe to consume? Uh, just as long as there's no mold on the stuff you're going to use. Um, you definitely want, like, the trechoderma and the other kind of molds are very uh, highly contagious. They're kind of a sticky kind of... Um, spore so they like to travel and they are aggressive um so yeah that is something you do want to remedy but yeah no the mushrooms are good just don't use anything with any contaminant on it you could even treat it um in some cases you could coat it in salt and the salt will actually make a encase it and then it won't spread so when you get your healthy reishi antlers or your conchs the shelf-like reishi growth what, what do you do next to preserve them? Are you grinding them into a powder or dehydrating them? What's the move? Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll just break it up into small, like, like little pieces, like maybe like pea size. And then it, uh, they get dehydrated. Then it gets broken up into its shape. And then it gets soaked into its uh, alcohol um, step. I've never made a tincture. I leave that to the professionals like you. But I must say, as I get more and more into cultivation, it's tempting to try diving into the tincture world. I'll, I'll let you know. So a lot of people, when they're making tinctures, like, oh, I'm going to use Everclear. I think the higher proof alcohol can damage your uh, polysaccharides. So that's why I only use 100 proof. And then that's why when, I, when I'm mixing the two formulas, I don't mix the water into the alcohol. You slowly mix the alcohol into the water. So that's so why I only like... That's why I only like to use 100 proof. And it's so awesome to be able to learn directly from someone like you who's been doing it for years. I know you're involved with hands-on mushroom cultivation outreach and education because there's so much conflicting information and overwhelming amount of different types of approaches to cultivation when you're sifting through the info online. It can be totally overwhelming and there's no substitute for in-person hands-on learning with a master cultivator like yourself. Now, you mentioned some of the work you're doing in our community, working with high school students and selling at farmers markets, etc. A lot of these types of activities have been put on hold or flat out canceled due to the pandemic. Yet mushrooms are more popular than ever, especially in the last year. How have you adapted your business model to meet the challenges of the quote, new normal? Okay, so the Vista Farmers Market is still in operation. It's actually San Diego's longest. It's never been interrupted and we're actually rain or shine. So yeah, every Saturday, the Vista Farmers Market is still going on. Um, and I, my online sales since COVID has actually been, been pretty well. Uh, fortunately to have a, a couple buddies online, even some people I've never even met but they've tried my product and then they're really promoting uh, my tinctures. Right on. So because of the explosive popularity of exotic and medicinal mushrooms in the last couple of years, so many different entrepreneurs and established businesses, etc., are rushing into the space internationally. It seems like there's a new mushroom product on the market every couple of days. And it's really refreshing to hear you talk about the integrity of your products. 
and your process. When there have been reports of less scrupulous producers and purveyors who are just trying to cash in on the shroom boom, what are some of the steps you take to guarantee the integrity and the quality of Mueller's mushroom products? Having the knowledge of what's going on around you and being involved. Um, so like, I'm not just somebody putting tinctures together and selling them for money. I'm somebody that cultivates it. You know, obviously I do mushroom talks. I've had four different suppliers send me false turkey tail mushrooms or lookalike mushrooms. And these companies backed it up saying, no, we assure you. And I told them who I was. And then I instantly got my money refunded. But it's unfortunate that they're selling these false turkey tail mushrooms. And there's some people that don't know what they are. And they're still taking these mushrooms and making products out of them. And that's unfortunately not a totally unique story. There are many Amazon reviews for different random companies that sell mushroom products online where people are discovering that they've been swindled, especially in regards to grow kits. People who are new to the art of cultivation buy a kit or spores, and there's really no way to tell if you're getting a bogus product because it's so easy for the grow to go wrong, even if the spores are real, that the company which sells you bogus spores or a bogus kit is generally protected because they can just say, you must have gotten a step wrong in the cultivation process. And that's why nothing grew. But again, that's more reason to order your products from Mueller's Mushrooms because you are visible in the community and you're established and involved. So you know you're gonna get the real deal when you order one of Eric's products. Let's talk substrates for a second. We mentioned pasteurized straw for oysters and oak sawdust for reishi. What are some of the other substrates you use for cultivation? Pretty much those are primarily my main substrates. Um, the hardwood pellets, I use those for reishi, turkey tail, lion's mane, uh, pretty much all, a lot of the hardwood dwellers. Um, if you were to look at my business and like what I cultivate, I guess you would say I specialize in hardwood dwelling mushrooms. So I use, uh, uh, I use uh, wood pellets uh, for smoking meat. So it's actually kind of, it's better, it's a better quality. So it's not really, it's not, I guess it's somewhat considered food grade, even though you're not eating the pellets. But yeah, that's what I use. It's for smoking uh, meat. I use a champion blend. There's probably an abundance of those types of wood pellets where you're based because I've had some of the best smoked meats in my life out in the Alpine region of Eastern San Diego. So let's loop back and chat about your mushroom jerky that you produce because you were definitely the first person to open my eyes to the wider world of what you can do with mushrooms in the food space. There's a lot of investment and research and development going into creating, quote, cruelty-free meats and expanded culinary offerings that use mushrooms as their base. Even some of the big players are getting involved, like Kellogg's, which is a massive multi-billion dollar food conglomerate brand. And they've just participated in a funding round alongside with a consortium of other investors, they've recently pumped over $35 million into a company called Mycotechnology to develop mushroom-based food products for the food and beverage industry. And there are plenty more examples of that type of capital investment into mushrooms as the future of food. Beyond your excellent mushroom jerky, have you experimented with producing other types of mushroom foods? Uh, uh, vegan carne asada, tacos. Um, it's really, it actually starts with the dehydrated oyster mushroom. Um, and then I also have a recipe that I've uh, developed for, it's a pretty much, it's a vegetarian Slim Jim. It'll probably be a while before AMPM carries those, but I wanna try one for sure. 
Now, are there any other types of wild mushrooms that are difficult, generally difficult to cultivate? Lobster mushrooms, morel, chanterelle come to mind that you're a fan of or that you might be interested in trying to cultivate? Um, yeah, I, I, I probably morels would probably be one, one on the top up there. Um, here's an interesting uh, side note. I hear uh, that a lot of people don't know morels are actually poisonous. It's actually the, the, po the toxin that's in a morel actually is this, actually what I believe is the same toxin that makes up a rocket fuel uh, molecularly. So as soon as you cook the mushrooms, you don't want to breathe the fumes. But as soon as you cook it, it all, it all cooks away. Or as soon as you dehydrate it, it goes away because the chemical is actually really volatile. Don't put Twinkies on your pizza and don't eat wild morels until you cook them. The two golden rules of dining etiquette. So you started your whole operation by cloning wild oyster mushrooms. Are there any other wild mushrooms that you've found which you've cloned and cultivated? Uh, no, but when I, when I originally discovered mushrooms, uh, on our property, I discovered um, pine spike caps and then uh, wood blue wood bluets and slippery jacks, which are all uh, edible mushrooms. But it was kind of interesting. I haven't really seen them, especially those pine spike caps, since then. Um, even though I'm in Alpine, so it's kind of a high desert, dry area. I've seen slippery jacks out there in Alpine and once not too far away from you up on Mount Laguna, I actually found a past its prime but beautiful flush of what I believe was chicken of the woods. Have you seen any chicken of the woods out your way? Yeah, so the, the chicken of the woods out here, yeah, years ago I harvested some and I harvested some and I took some to a local restaurant and the main chef was just like, yeah, cook me up this beautiful dish. Um, but technically the chicken of the woods out here is not a true chicken of the woods. It's Albert, it's actually a Gilbertsonii rather than a, a sulfurous. And so the edibility is questionable if you read a lot of the books. Um, my other friend, Dennis, uh, he actually, he can eat them. He can eat them growing off, off of eucalyptus trees because you shouldn't eat mushrooms growing out of eucalyptus trees, especially um, chicken of the woods. When I was living in LA, I found a purveyor of wild foraged mushrooms that had a tent at the Calabasas Farmer's Market. So I got to frequently score wild chanterelles, morels, lion's mane, boletus, a number of other beautiful wild mushrooms that were not cheap. But the tent was pretty much the only seller of wild forage mushrooms that I've constantly found or ever come across, to be honest. Are you aware of anyone who regularly sells wild foraged culinary mushrooms? Most of them are cultivated. I've heard of some people having like lobster mushrooms, um, but they're primarily cultivated. I think someone at the Hillcrest Farmer's Market, and then I think uh, the mushroom lady at the Vista will carry forage mushrooms sometimes too. So it's pretty interesting because like with my business, like I don't even really sell a lot of fresh mushrooms. Like I do the mushroom products pretty much. Like when I grow a lot of um, like oyster mushrooms myself, I just turn it into jerky. Now, what are some of the different flavors of your mushroom jerky that you're currently offering? What we have, so this is like a, a spicy. We got like a spicy, a, a teriyaki, and then we have, and then, and then original. So, you know, it's interesting because they say like invention comes out of necessity, and that's pretty much how it all started. I had a whole bunch of dried mushrooms and trying to figure out that shelf-stable mushroom product and mushroom jerky. Before we wrap up today, I know you're very busy with your one-man show that is Mueller's Mushrooms. Is there anything else that you're currently working on that you want to promote? 
Well, one thing I, um, we really want to do is like more classes. Um, uh, I've recently taken over like a, another, I've taken over Creekside Mushroom uh, operation up in like Pine Valley, Guatai. So I now ha I have a larger operation uh, up there, um, which is kind of built and designed as like a learning center. Um, we got uh, areas for doing like outdoor inoculations on logs. We got uh, areas for teaching how to do uh, outdoor patches. And then we got a couple large uh, indoor grow rooms and a nice like pasteurization room. Um, that's something I really want to do is do the more classes and start more start teaching people um, how to cultivate at home. And all of us listening would love to see that go forward because there's a tremendous need for mushroom education and for hands-on learning sites, especially with younger kids. I'm an educator myself and I would love to see mushroom science taught in school, especially now with Zoom classes and parents with kids more or less stuck at home. Mushroom education through Zoom where you have a kit or some materials that you get your hands on, and then you have a chance to learn in small groups or one-on-one -on -one with a master cultivator, how to produce imaginative mushroom foods and mushroom products, biomaterials. One young woman even designed and built a kayak out of mushrooms out in the Midwest. She had no professional background or anything, just did it as a community college project and actually made national news and now has a first of its kind functional kayak made out of mushrooms that she designed and built. That's the spirit of the mycopreneur. Eric, thanks so much for coming on the mycopreneur podcast. You are a huge inspiration to me personally and a big time benefactor to the mushroom community at large. I'm looking forward to following the growth of Mueller's Mushrooms. And I wanna give a shout out again to your online store, which is muellersmushroom.com. That's mushroom singular, muellersmushroom.com. It's been a real pleasure, Eric. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. There's so much to cover in the mushroom universe and so many mycopreneurs leveraging the infinite potential of fungi to create a more ecologically balanced, inclusive, and equitable world for all of us mischievous little monkeys. Completely stoked that you've chosen to spend some of your hard-earned time in our little corner of the mycoverse. Hop on the gram, say what's up. At Mycopreneur Podcast, that's the handle, don't get it twisted. We've got the full suite of social media up and running. Twitter, Mycopreneur. Got the YouTubes dialed in, Mycopreneur. Drop us a line. Tell your grandma and your kooky uncle. Tell your wife and your kids. If you're a Mycopreneur yourself, you want to hop on the pod, by all means, Vilcomen, bienvenidos, welcome. Don't be a stranger. Let us know your thoughts on this episode, and also let us know what you want to hear in future episodes. This is a team effort. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for stopping by the Micropreneur Podcast. Have a lovely day. We'll see you back here next week.